Welcome back, friends. We are beginning again in chapter 10 of first, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's begin at verse 23. Uh, today we'll look at verse 23 of chapter 10 through the first verse of chapter 11. Uh, the first verse of chapter 11 really does go with what Paul's saying here in chapter 10. Um, it, and then he starts a new topic in chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, I'm sure you realize these numbers that we have in our Bibles are fairly modern inventions uh, to help us navigate our way through God's Word. And sometimes the numbers occur at wonderful places and sometimes maybe not so wonderful. So this section that we're looking at today, which is um, a coherent section, begins at verse 23 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, and ends with the first verse of chapter 11. And it is a very coherent section. It's where Paul is finishing up his conversation, his discussion, his argument that he began way back in the first verse of what we call chapter 8. This whole section on whether or not Christians can eat meat that's been offered at some point um, on um, the altar of pagan idols in pagan temples in Corinth in the Greco-Roman world. And um, we've learned a lot as Paul has discussed this topic, and uh, we have worked hard to make sure that we translate what Paul has been saying uh, with that specific issue into our world today and what it means to um, make make sure God is number one in our lives, that we have no other idols, that we are true to our God. And particularly this section that we're looking at today, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 11, 1, summarizes this long, extensive argument in, um, in this letter. And it will help us um, end in such a way that we can make um, good, a good application, make a good translation of what Paul is saying here uh, in the first century to the first century church in Corinth to our lives. We've learned a lot of principles about Christian decision-making. And particularly as he summarizes here in this section, uh, this will help us to take home, uh, to bring home what he's saying about Christian decision-making. So let's look at this text, uh, beginning at verse 23, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. He, He begins by quoting a proverb from the Corinthians that he uh, quoted way back in chapter 6, verse 12. So again, we know that this is a coherent, sustained argument um, that goes on for quite a while. Uh, he, he, he quotes this Proverbs. He's quoting to the Corinthians what they've said to him. And uh, he quotes this proverb back to them as he concludes in this section, as he, um, as he, uh, as he brings home to them. Uh, takes home for them uh, what it means to to have only one God, and that's that's the God that we know in Jesus Christ. So verse 23, and in your Bible, this 
phrase should have quotation marks around it. There's no quotation marks in ancient Greek, but your English translation should put quotation marks around this to let you know that what he's quoting is a, a Greco-Roman proverb. It's not something he's saying. It's not something he agrees with. Uh, he's arguing against it. It's, it's pretty clear in the text. But he's quoting back to them something they've quoted to him. Uh, and this is the way it begins in uh, verse 23. All things are lawful. All things are lawful. So that's, that's the um, translation of, of this proverb that they're quoting to Paul. All things are lawful. In other words, uh, the Corinthians probably were saying because they were Christian, because their spiritual lives were in order now, that whatever they did with their physical lives um, was of no consequence that all things, um, uh, were, were, all things were right for them. They had the right to all things. Uh, they, they had the freedom. They had the liberty uh, to enjoy all things. And, uh, and you're going to see in a little bit there's some truth to that in the Christian faith. But these um, Corinthian believers, evidently because of their Greco-Roman background, they were taking this truth to a, a, a terrible extreme. So notice how Paul begins. All things are lawful. He's quoting them back to them. All things are lawful, but, here's Paul's argument, but all things, but all, but not all things are helpful. In other words, he's, he's, he's using their quotation where, which says all things are lawful, but he's adding to it, but not all things are beneficial. Uh, not all things are helpful. Um, so he goes back now to their quotation, all things are lawful, but Paul says, not all things build up. So he's saying that even though um, all things might be right, all things might be available to you, you might have the privilege and the liberty to participate in whatever, that doesn't mean that whatever is beneficial or right especially may not be loving to your neighbor, which is why then in verse 24 he says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. It's clear that for Paul, you know, what, what we want to do, what we have the right to do, is not the prevailing criterion. Um, criteria. What is... What is right, what we want, has to yield to what is helpful, what is loving to our neighbor. Uh, that's the argument he's been making in a sustained way here in 1 Corinthians. It may be your right. It may be lawful, even from the law of God, uh, to eat that meat offered to idols. But that doesn't mean you eating that meat is beneficial or expedient, or edifying, or especially good for your neighbor, um, if it really offends your neighbor. And that's why he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. I don't need to say to you, we're in a world today, even filled with Christian people, who think what they want and what they have the right to should be the determining factor in how they live their life. Uh, this is nothing new. As the book of Ecclesiastes says in the Bible, there is nothing new under the sun. 
Um, This is the way we humans have always wanted it. But Paul is saying that's not the primary consideration. It may be good. It may be lawful. It may be right. It may be what you want. But is it beneficial to your neighbor? Uh, So that's what he says here. Look at verse 25. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. He's going to say here, and I don't mean to be trite and don't draw unwanted parallels here, please. But it's almost a don't ask, don't tell kind of thing. Now, the meat that you buy in the butcher shop there in Corinth, maybe it did come from pagan offerings. Maybe it did originate on the altar of a pagan temple. Um, just don't worry about it. Don't, it doesn't have to mean you're supporting pagan worship by eating that meat. Um, that's why he says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So, yeah, you don't even need to go there. Uh, just buy the cheap meat, get the meat that's on sale. Um, you know, you don't have to trace every moment of that meat's history before you determine to eat it. So he, he's saying that you can just enjoy the meat. Um, don't raise any questions on ground of conscience. Because he also says, notice in the next verse, verse 26, for, and he's quoting Psalm 24 at this point, he says in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What he's saying here is, um, and he's basing it on a, on a theology of creation, God has created all things and God has called all things good. Uh, in First Timothy chapter 4, maybe you can read this later, make this part of your homework. In First Timothy chapter 4, uh, Paul, and I think it is Paul by the way there, Paul um, says that... Um, If it's eaten with with prayer and thanksgiving, it can be consecrated and it can be beneficial and and it can be part of your life. Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That cow that did eventually get offered on a pagan altar, that cow was created by God. So it's part of God's good creation and we believe that creation is good. Uh, We Christians believe that strongly. We believe that the material world is sacred. So it's not inherently evil. That cow cannot be inherently evil. So he's saying just don't trace the history of the cow. Just believe it's part of God's good creation. Um, Get the good deal on the meat at the meat market um, and and enjoy it. But he's going to give a caveat. And by this point in this letter, you know what the caveat's going to be. Uh, verse. Let's go on. Verse 28, he says, but if someone else says to you, we don't know who this someone else is, but if someone else says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his So you expected that caveat, I'm sure, at this point. You know, if the issue's not raised as to where the meat came from, uh, just enjoy it. But once the issue is raised, and it might be raised by a brother or sister in the faith who is struggling with this issue, and they haven't found the freedom that you found in this issue, 
And they really are, are, are struggling with this issue of whether or not you could eat this meat that at one time was offered on a pagan altar. And that person raises the issue. Then for the sake of that tender conscience, or even I believe Paul would say for the sake of that weaker conscience, just don't eat it. Remember Paul earlier said if, if it would help him love his neighbor, he'll become a vegetarian. Just, just don't eat it. It's not all about what's right or proper or what I want or what's lawful. Sometimes you have to say, where's my neighbor at on this one? So he's just saying, you know, if, if it is raised as an issue of conscience, maybe just refrain from it. You really don't have to eat that meat. Um, so that, that's how important love of neighbor is. For Paul, um, verse 30, uh, he says, If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I give thanks? Again, you have the right to do it. You have the right to eat it. Um, if you pray over it, if you give thanks for it, if you know it's come from God's good creation, and it doesn't violate your conscience, then then. Go for it. But again, you've got to think about your neighbor. So here, uh, beginning at verse 31, he's going to wrap up this whole long extended conversation. Notice what he says. And here in this section, here beginning at verse 31 and what I've said thus far, we're going to be able to draw two specific, um, two specific thoughts, two specific criteria that can help us live the Christian life, help us in Christian decision-making. Notice why he says in verse 31, and, and most of us do assume this is a summary of all that he's been saying for many, many chapters. He says, verse 31, chapter 10, So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, for me... That phrase, and in Latin, it's a three-word phrase that, that's been real important to the Christian community. Soli Deo Gloria. Praise or glory to God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Uh, that great composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, used to write um, an acronym. Sometimes he wrote those whole three words on every piece of music that he composed, Soli Deo Gloria, um, glory to God alone. He wanted to make sure everything he wrote, everything he produced, would be only for the glory of God. And that nothing he would ever do, nothing he would ever write, would diminish the glory of God. Um, it, it is an important Christian declaration for the last... 2,000 years since probably Paul gave it to us right here. Soli Deo Gloria. I wish we could, write, could inscribe those words across our life. Uh, glory to God alone. And, and let that be the prevailing pattern in our life to make the decisions. It may be right. It may be, law, it may be lawful. It may be beneficial even for me. It may be um, something I want. It may be something that I can do with a clear conscience. But does it bring glory to God? 
uh, is allowing my living to bring glory to God. So Paul summarizes by saying, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, your, your radical love for your neighbor can bring glory to God. Um, you know, you, you letting the steak go is fine. Let the steak go. Let the prime rib go. If, if eating it somehow diminishes the glory of God, the reputation of God in anyone else's eyes. Uh, we, we need to protect the reputation, the glory of God. We, we pray multiple times every day, hallowed be thy name. We want God's name, God's reputation, God's person to be held holy in this world. And a lot of people attack the holiness of God in so many ways, but we need to make sure our lives never allow us to attack the holiness of God, to harm the reputation of God, that, that the way we live our lives brings glory to God. Uh, the way we live our lives uh, helps add to the glorious reputation of God uh, in this world. Verse 31 again, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, um, do all to the glory of God. Just start reading right there, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's how Paul's wrapping up this section. Let's finish it up. Verse 32. Give no offense. He's back on this loving your neighbor thing. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Now, since Christ, those are the three distinctions. There's, there's Jews, Greeks, or Gentiles, and the church of God. Throughout history, there's been Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. Uh, that's what Greeks means here, the Gentiles. Uh, since Jesus came, there's a third option. There's Jew, Gentile, and the church of God. The church of God is made up both of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, here's Paul, a Gentile, talking, I mean, excuse me, Paul, a Jew, talking to the Gentiles in Corinth. So we have created, uh, we were told this in the first century, second century, third century, we have created a third race. There were the Jews and the Greeks, and now there's the church. There's the people of Jesus. Paul is saying, give no offense to anyone. When he uses these three categories, give no offense to anyone. You know, we Christians need to seriously consider this issue of offense. Now, I know we're in a culture where people love to be offended. It seems like everything offends everybody today. Um, that should not be us. We should be very hard to offend, and we should be never those who give the offense. Uh, we are that third way. We should not be the ones offending everyone, and we should not be the ones who are always offended by everyone. Now, you can make all the, you can make all the uh, applications of that you want in life and in culture today, but our world is filled with people who love to be offended or who love to offend. We Christians take a third way. Uh, we don't want to be those who offend. But we don't want to be those who are always being offended. Um, now, we speak the truth, but Paul makes it very clear we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth with respect in love. 
that is told us so many times in the New Testament. Some people just love to speak the truth, and they don't care who they offend. Well, that's not the Christian way. We speak the truth in love, always respecting the people around us, respecting everyone as someone created and bearing the image of God. We respect everyone as someone for whom Christ died. So we never seek to give offense. So uh, we, we should try not to offend. Uh, we can speak the truth in love and with respect. And we shouldn't be so easily offended. We shouldn't want the world around us to agree with us on everything. I don't expect the world around us to agree with us on everything. There, there are days I don't even agree with me. And I need to be careful about getting angry at other people when, when I don't agree with them. So we need to be careful about being those who give offense. We need to be careful about being those who are so easily offended. It seems in our culture today being offended has almost become a hobby. And, and we need to get over that. And then verse 33, he says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that that of many, that they may be saved. You know, Paul tried to please others. He says that right here. But, of course, his, his primary concern was to please God. Uh, he, we talked about it in the past, and back in chapter 9. He became all things to all people so that he might win all, some, all to Christ. So we, 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 we know what that means. So we try to build those uh, good relationships with people. So we try to please all people. But we, we know that uh, the, the primary thing we want in life is to please God. And he says that. But then he ends up this section with what is in your Bibles, the first verse of the next chapter. But all of us, a New Testament people agree this should be the last verse of this section because as soon as he says hear the context he says give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved be imitators of me as I am of Christ so you know he's saying in all of this be imitators of Paul as he is an imitator of Christ. Uh, we've talked about mentoring before. We are all mentoring other people in the Christian faith, whether we accept it or not. People are watching us. We need to be uh, intentional enough in the Christian faith to be able to say to the people in our lives that we're mentoring, imitate us, imitate me. And that's not an arrogant thing because you always have the caveat, imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. And that's what Paul says here. He says, be imitators of me as I am imitating Christ. That's the first verse of chapter 11. That's where we'll stop. So Paul wraps up this remarkable extended conversation by saying, give, God to, give glory to God alone with all that you do. And, um, and don't, don't harm other people. Don't harm other people's faith. Uh, love your neighbor, basically. So give glory to God alone. Make sure your life gives glory to God. And love your neighbor. Those are two basic premises when it comes to Christian decision-making. For, for Paul's world, particularly surrounding Corinth there, it had to do with uh, meat offered to idols. For us, the issue may be presented in other ways. 
but we need to make sure that our lives, everything that we do, all of our living, brings glory to God, and we need to make sure that we love our neighbor. So it's been a powerful, extensive section that we've looked at for many weeks. Not, not, not very easy, but we, we've made our way through it. In chapter 11, verse 2, he's going to start talking about worship. He's going to start talking about men and women's roles in worship. Um, so it's going to get very interesting uh, in chapter 11. And we'll pick up there next week. Again, thank you for your commitment to Bible study. And thank you for sharing this time with me. God bless you.